Hello and welcome to the final episode of a cycling ramble with me, Adam Bailey. And me, Ollie Baisley. So th- this is it, the final episode of a cycling ramble. Ollie and I started the podcast 18 months ago as a podcast presented by cycling fans for cycling fans. But sadly, due to other commitments, we can no longer um, re- record re- regular um content so we've decided this will be the last episode of the cycling ramble and ollie well it could come back and you know it's maybe some point in the future but no for now you know really this is it and um yeah it's been a long ride but yeah but what what an incredible 18 months it's been honestly it surprised me to death i think that when we first did it you know we were just aiming for really to just do have a reasonably successful student radio show weren't we and i think we quickly realized that we were getting listens from outside of student radio and that it wasn't just people our age who were listening and then we started trying to you know appeal to further audiences and we've got well you know over the course of the last 18 months and however many shows we've had we've had tens of thousands of listens and um yeah that's you know really encouraging and really i think good for somebody in our people in our position with the platform that we have um it's better than any other one show that i've heard of from student radio so um yeah i'm incredibly proud of what we've achieved and also the more importantly the content that we've produced and that's that's the thing we'll discuss later on our favorite moments we've had some brilliant interviews that we would never imagine when we started it. but the, the reason one of the reasons why we started was because our love of cycling the love of sport and just to talk about our, pa- our, our passion um, but before we start we must of course say a massive fa- thank you to everybody who has listened to the podcast over the last 18 months and everybody who has supported us during that time and one of the big reasons like I just said why we decided to start this podcast was to d- discuss the sport that we we love in particular the uh, um, uh, r- racing and we have been treated to some brilliant races the last 18 months not least on Saturday and um, when um, Ben Benut is that Benut yeah I'd say cheese Benut it's difficult one to say we'll talk about pronunciations after because that's (laughs) been a tricky point of mine over the last uh, few months Um, but he produced a spectacular solo victory at at Strato Bianchi on Saturday and it almost seems like a fitting race to to to, to end and discuss our cycling rumble on yeah absolutely it's one of my favourite races of the season and it's only so young I think the race has been around for maybe less than 10 years so for a race to have this prestige this excitement and be this great so early on in its history is very rare because normally in the history of cycling the Tour de France has been happening for over 100 years now uh, so you know that race is obviously built over time but Strada Bianchi is already very big and I think you know maybe in the future um, if there's any reclassifications of monuments Strada Bianchi is right up there with some of the best other classics which really contend for that prize and so what I look at it now is it really was like a breakthrough for the youth. If you look at Tij Benut finishing first for Lotto Sudal, then Roman Bardet, who, who I completely you said last week, off. oh, he's too, he's, okay. he's too thin, he's defense, too slim, no chance whatsoever. The conditions made it very tough, and I, in my opinion, suited him much more. Um, it made it a much slower race, whereas I think if it was in better conditions, like we've maybe seen in previous years, it would have been maybe a faster man's race, but no, uh, Roman Bardet rode brilliantly. And then Walt Van Aert, I been looking at him for an awful long time he's won an, uh, several world championships in cyclocross yeah, he's a three time uh, cyclocross world champion only 23 we've, years we've of age we've spoken about in the past about him like the rumours of him coming to Team Sky I think it was and maybe joining other teams and 
this is you know the confirmation that you need that he really is the future and I think for somebody who is not really riding for a big team uh, and definitely isn't focusing full-time on road racing it's a bit of a slap in the face to everybody else that he can finish third despite doing all of that so he's got a big future uh, and you know we've known that he's had a lot of talent for a while but um, it's sometimes difficult to transfer but another cyclocross rider who's done very well is obviously Zenik Stewart and he's done very well in this race before so it does suit those types of riders but yeah apart from Valverde um, there's an awful lot of young riders in the top three who did very well Absolutely and Tij Tij Benut um, this was actually his first professional win and what a win to get as well it was fully deserved it's actually he's a a, a rider that I like a lot and it was actually a rider I had down on my um, ones to to watch um, as a a four for the Strada Bianchi race on my notes last week but I never actually said it now I wish I did I was looking at it to say easy claim to make no I honestly because it is a rider because he, he he's in the last two editions before this year. He's actually finished eighth um, twice, and also he, he, he's relatively new to the professional cycling. He, because I think it was when it was a neo pro. I think it was 2015, and he finished fifth at the Tour of Flanders. And ever since he was then, at university during that time, so yeah, people don't and, know that he was and, studying and finished fifth, fifth in the Tour of Flanders. That reevaluates how I'm doing at the university. <laughs> and ever since then, I thought he's definitely a rider to watch. And again, he showed what how strong he is because he just looks mightily strong. Because the 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 duo of Roman Bardet and Wout van Aert very very strong riders and he just accelerated away from them on the final sector and they, they just had no response um, from them and they just had to keep, keep it together and in the end he had um, time to celebrate well in advance of the, of the line but he was caked in mud he literally he basically could hardly see with Everybody all the mud that that's, the, that's the thing and I wonder if that's why it suited a bit Wout van Aert because obviously cyclocross used to riding in the mud but Wout van Aert he's definitely one to watch in the road racing we're very excited to see how he he progresses from after a very aggressive performance at Strade Bianchi did this this weekend yeah so for example um, with the conditions Greg van Avermaet said afterwards that uh, he kind of really suffered in the conditions and that really affected his performance so yeah it's bound to suit some and suit others and famously as we've spoken many times in this podcast Chris Froome doesn't like the wet and he always seems to perform better in the sun uh, and so um, we've spoken about how that yeah how the conditions affect riders differently and so yeah it's not surprising that a cyclocross world champion does very well um, Steve Barth finished 7th I think really that the story of the event is how much messing about there was um, clearly Sagan Stebar and some of those other riders were really really strong but they were held back by different by being back in different groups and missing the split early on and then people weren't willing to work to catch them up so so um, I think if it had been, you know, it'd been very different if it had come into the final climb altogether or maybe a bit closer. But nevertheless, um, I think you really, they played the tactics perfectly and got away early, which is, I think, the best thing to do in these conditions because it was a very relatively a slow race um, because of the conditions. It slowed it down, especially up the gravel tracks. So, yeah, I think it was remarkable. And as always, Strade Bianchi is, you know, one of the races to catch. And it also leads into a lot of stage racing, which I'm tremendously excited about. And um, we discussed Pyrenees last week. So shall we get into Terreno Adriatico? Yes, we can. We'll just mention on... Uh, Paris Nice, we mentioned him uh, quite a lot last week. Dylan Gronewegen, the Lotto NL Jumbo um, sprinter, He's, he uh, won today's stage at Paris Nice. That's his fifth win of the season. And you could, you could argue at the moment he is the world's best sprinter. 
He's one of the best. First of all, I've got him in my Paris Nice um, fantasy team. We're going to talk about some other podcasts to follow at the end um, for those of you who like ours and now maybe need another one. Um, but I'm actually in the Velo Games. Uh, sorry, pardon me, the Velo Cast Velo Games team uh, or league, pardon me. And uh, yeah, Gronovigan is in my team. I didn't put Demar. I took Demar out because I thought that I had Christoph and Gronovigan. I think they would be better for better than him. Um, but as usual, Demar always does well. I don't think he won that sprint. I'm going to put that out there you know i'm uh, i'm not convinced that like it looks it's clearly to me that the uh, barre merida rider uh rider won that and but apparently he did you know i'm not sure if they um you know I'm not, I'm not saying anything happened but like I just I couldn't see where he was ahead but apparently he was in the photo finish so well done to him but I've, I've got to say I think you do do a bit of good fortune in the fantasy leagues because over the oh past few years last year we've been doing the cycling like, rumble you had a lot of last, bad luck last summer in the the Giro wasn't too bad it, in 2016 I did fantastically in the Giro in 2016 I was in like the top 5 or 10% I did really well um, Kreuzvik kind of hampered me a bit but I, I'd got quite a lot of points from him and uh, but in 2017 I had um, at the Tour de France I had Sagan and Valverde and both of them crashed out in the, or were disqualified in the first week and those were a lot of points and other things like that so yeah I'm definitely due some luck but Velo Games is a great website it's kind of like fantasy cycling so do check it out and uh, hopefully Gronovigan or Christoph can keep on winning yeah I have to say I think last year's Cycling Rumble um, the Velo Games League were was d- 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 dominated by the Bailey family. I think I won a couple, and I think my, my right. dad Keep also did boasting. it as well. So yeah, the, it's good to know that we end with a fond memory of Velo Games. But yeah, it's definitely worth watching. And also, it, it adds a bit of excitement when you're watching the races as well. Go doing fa- fa- fantasy cycling. So the, the truth is, you know, the flat stages apparently is. You know, I'm not hugely involved in. I don't really care as much as, you know, the hilly stage, which is going to decide the general classification, because that's really what I more care about in the one week stage races. And so, you know, in this case, it works out really well having it's nice having a fantasy because you maybe pay a bit more attention to you within those bunk sprints. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. It also makes you think more and learn more of the riders names. It's kind of a good one for learning more about the sport, definitely. And um I've actually got a lot of Team Sky Riders. I've got Pals, Hernal, and David Delacruz in my uh, team. I think I'm fairly bullish on those guys. They've been in pretty good form recently. So and That's the thing. T- t- team Sky, we mentioned last week, have so many different cards to, to play. Any of those three r- riders could be one of a shout. Yeah, absolutely. I think also I have Tim Wellens, who just seems on electric form. He did so well on the Stage 1 sprint. Uh, I think he finished third or fourth. And um, for Tim Wellens, that's a very, very good result. So... Yeah, I think he's going to be doing uh, big things in the rest of the uh, in the rest of the race. And I think you know he's a definite contender for overall. Um, looking ahead to Torino Adriatico, obviously the huge headlines for this race is the return of um, you know probably the most prominent rider in the world at the moment, uh, Chris Froome, and uh, he's going into the race obviously probably you know determined to win. Um, I think as we get closer to the Giro d'Italia. And it looks more and more likely that he will compete at the Giro, um, uh, despite you know the, the circumstances. I think Chris Froome really needs to start winning. He did it all right at the previous race, the Richard del Sol, but I think he really wants to you know take some confidence and get his first, um, I think, first one of the season. So uh, that's going to be a big one for him, and it's going to be interesting because the start list is a bit varied there's some excellent riders and you always have some really really great classics riders here so we have uh, Peter Sagan um, but and Vincent, uh, Peter Sagan but in terms of GC there's a lot of great riders so Nibali 
who I believe is going to the Tour de France. I might be wrong, but he might be going to the Giro. But he, as ever, Vincenzo, Vincenzo Nibali is a big competition. But Roman Bardet will be there as well. Miguel Angel Lopez uh, from Astana will also be there. Adam Yates from Michigan Scott. Uh, and then Movistar Michael Lander. So Chris Froome has a lot of competition. And he's really got it against him. But if you look at the team that's supporting him, he has an unbelievable team as usual. And also they have kind of a co-leader there with Garrett Thomas. But just going down it, Jonathan Castro-Vejo is an incredible rider. Obviously, Vasil Kirienko, you would have known. Uh, Mikhail Kwiatkowski, uh, former world champion. Gianni Moscon, monument uh, podium finisher not top podium top five finisher and also Salvatore Puccio who's always good in Italian races so yeah that's pretty formidable and um, I think those guys are going to do pretty well and also the dark horse I don't quite know how he'll do but Tom Demuda how do you think he's going to do at Torino well, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one because also we've discussed uh, the back end of last year about the battle of that we're looking forward to was Tom Dumoulin against Chris Froome. We originally thought it might be the Tour de France. It looks like it'll be at the Giro um, d'Italia. But it's going to be interesting because I'm not entirely sure how much time trialling is there. I'm just trying to look at the... Is, this is Giro or this is Torino? Uh, the Torino Adriatico. Um, I don't think... It's obviously not as going to be significant. There's a team time trial, but... I think in terms of the rest of the race, Tirreno is normally always uh, decided in the in the mountains, and uh, I think as ever, you know, the team time trial will inevitably suit yeah, um, somewhere. A lot. The, the actually the final stage of Tirreno Adriatico is an individual time trial. So again, the reason why I asked that because I think again, as it will be probably at the Giro, Giro d'Italia, I think. Chris Froome has the edge on Tom, on Tom Dumoulin in the mountains. I think Chris Froome has the edge of Tom Dumoulin in the Grand Tour. I'm going to put um, that out there. Because, you know, this it is all depends last... on how much time trial is. Because Absolutely. But to, I said that Tom Dumoulin last year at, at the Giro d'Italia, one of the rides of, of the year, showed he can climb with the best. One of the rides of the decade. Yeah. I think it was unbelievable. The amount, how good he was at climbing. But I think what is, you know, what we have to keep in our mind is how good Chris Froome is. And, you know, we're really judging his performance because at the Vuelta, you know, he wasn't, in my opinion, up against that strong competition. Nibali um, didn't really push him that hard. And I think Chris Froome got in, got in the lead and then stayed there. I think if you look at his Tour de France performance, we've seen him do much better in the past and arguably he was even more dominant in the Vuelta. So I think it's hard to predict how good Froome's going to be, but just purely on his history, you know, across across time and with proof Chris Froome's been much better on average in every Grand Tour that he's ridden and although Tom Doolan might have improved over the last couple of years I think without as much time trailing as there is in this year's Giro there's much less than there was last year um, Chris Froome is a route that suits Chris Froome better but the real X factor is how the cold will affect him because we've seen that you know I think if it was hot weather Chris Froome would be a much bigger favourite than if it's you know the wet weather that we expect at the Giro d'Italia in May and also, quite often at Trinidad Adriatica, there's often snow in the mountains. So this will be a good gauge of where both or all the riders are, especially looking at Chris Froome and how he performs on the Italian roads I be, in the colder weather. I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Froome goes for a stage win rather than winning the race. I think if you look where he was at the Ruta del Sol, he wasn't on peak condition. He was maybe coming out straight off a training block and he needed to rest up a bit. But he was clearly up there with the best. And I think Chris Froome has been the most reliable rider in the world at being on form in pretty much every race, maybe other than Peter Sagan. You know, Chris Froome's pretty much always up there. Uh, and he you can always count on him to make his objectives of the season and also get there. And that's the thing, Team Sky are excellent at 
planning their 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 season so they hit peak form when they when they need it at the big races if in terms of Chris, Chris Freeman is the Grand Grand Tours, and they just seem to get the, the setup, building it up to the, the the main objectives of the season. And the last, well, quite a number of years, it's worked fantastically. Not at the Giro, at the Tour de France, yeah. obviously, and yeah, at the Vuelta. Because that's the thing, Team Sky have always had a lot of b- bad luck re- recently. Incredible. At the Giro the time. No, I think it's about remarkable. five years they've had crashes, illnesses, abandonments. Although Wiggins wasn't going to win in 2013, he did crash out. In 2014, I think it was Richie Port went in, went went for the Giro uh, win and uh, got pneumonia beforehand. In 2015, we obviously had Richie crashing again, or was it in 2016? Um, no, I think Orlando was ill in 2017 2017 uh, and no, then, to do, sorry 2016 2016 then last year was the crash at the bottom of the as well so yeah it's been pretty disastrous for a while for Team Sky and I think ultimately that luck is eventually going to end and uh, yeah I think my prediction for the Giro is uh, it's too early to say I can't say it yet I think uh, although it won't be shaped much by the Alps I think those small margins it will be really close in the end yeah, it's going to be a, f- 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 a fascinating watch next week in Trino Adriatico and also in May at the Giro d'Italia. It's just a shame that we won't be able to share our thoughts on it. Although you can follow us on Twitter. Yeah, um, what's your Twitter handle? Mine is at Adam underscore Bailey 98. Oh, yeah, it's too many. That's too difficult. Mine's just there's, at, there's just too many Adam Baileys in the world. Uh, I'm, that's the I'm lucky there's only one Ollie Baisley. As there far is as only one Ollie Baisley. Um, so I'm at Ollie Baisley. Do follow us on Twitter. I think we'll leave the. Um, the Twitter account, the Cycling Ramble Intact, so you can always find our previous episodes there and hear some of our thoughts from the past. But shall we get on to kind of reminiscing and talking about it? I think, you know, let's start off with maybe our the highlight, you know, the real high. I think for me personally, it was interviewing Brian Cookson when we came across him slightly um, surprisingly at the Tour of Yorkshire last year. And... Um, for the whole of that rest of the evening, I was literally bouncing off the wall. I think the timing of the interview was perfect, hence why um, it did really well and gathered a lot of attention. And yeah, it was a really big one for me. I messed up. I uh, missed the end of the interview. I'll never forget that. Um, That's the thing. We, we, we You learn from your mistakes because ever since that, I have never... Every single interview I've done since, I've always put my phone on aeroplane mode. Yeah. Now when so I'm Adam on called phone. me to figure out where it was because I wasn't at the car, and uh, he, instead I uh, bumped into Brian Cookson <laughs> and gone for an interview. So um, I'm incredibly grateful for Brian for giving me his time. I'm an, you know I'm a student at the University of Sheffield with a small cycling podcast. You know he and, and I think he was slightly taken back by some of my questions. I think he expected maybe such um, knowledgeable questions from a student from the University of Sheffield, but he was really game, and I spoke to him since uh, at the uh, Tour of Yorkshire press conference recently and again he recognised me and was uh, really kind so I think for me that was just such a huge moment and uh, I think that feeling of like getting that huge interview and kind of being uh, really like shocked and kind of jumping for joy um, I haven't quite uh, uh, recreated it as much uh, since. Um, so my favourite moment of the cycling ramble has to be la- la- last September, uh, the weekend at R- Revolve 24, which was the en- endurance um, cycling event held at Brands Hatch. Um, and I'm so glad that Hugh and Vicky at Revolve 24, the organisers, asked us, as it was a great w- 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 weekend. Um, we heard so many inspiring stories, not just the likes of Julian Ryder and y- y- Yasmin Muller, who won their respective categories and are f- phenomenal bike riders, but also stories 
stories from those who rode Revolt 24 for a challenge to lose weight or to raise money for a charity in, in memory of somebody who um, was close to them. And it's just, the event had a real community, community feel. And I think that's really... Um, what is what cycling is about? It is this cycling community, and that's that's what's so what's so great. So many people go go out now on Saturday morning rides, Sunday morning rides, just to, to feel in, in a community. And I think that is the wonderful thing about cycling is you can go and ride. And it was such a great event to be a part of, and you can see how inspiring that. Loads of, so many people have been inspired by the su- su- success of British cycling over the la- 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 last few years. Long may it continue. So many people now are riding their bikes, which is why there are so many cycling po- podcasts, podcasts out there. One of the reasons why um, I first started to got into cycling was the 2008 um, Olympic Games in in Beijing, seeing the likes of Sir Chris Hoy um, and Brad- Bradley Wiggins riding and. That's when a lot of people, if it wasn't for that, then I probably would, definitely wouldn't have been sat here now. So I think Revolve 24, definitely the highlight for me. It was an incredible weekend. So many inspiring people we met. And this year's event seems like it's going to be even bigger. So make sure, if you're interested in signing up, uh, search for Revolve 24 on social media. And they've even had Australia last month, or two months ago, uh, which is incredible. So this year's event's definitely going to be bigger. And I think Revolve 24 was the highlight of my cycling rumble and we're really happy to announce that adam will be taking part next year no just no, that's not, <laughs> if i did i've had to start it but that's the thing being there it did it, it, it did show that anything it is absolutely had like dave tubbs who was a 18 stone um lorry driver and he was about six stone light and cycled as a team at revolve 24 quite incredible that's just one of the so many inspiring stories so actually I could if I wanted to, but I think I'm busy. Oh, 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 fighting talk from Adam. I'm going to try and talk to him off air and convince him. Um, but I think, you know, I really hope what's been evident throughout the course of this podcast, um, I think is how much we love cycling. And I, the truth is that I think at times for both of us, there's been moments where it's been a bit taxing, you know. Um, I think especially covering all the um, Team Sky and British Cycling news as of late um, has definitely, I think, worn on both of us. And I think everybody in cycling would just rather that it, it wasn't it wasn't a story, there was nothing, you know, that no, nothing had happened that needed this attention. And um, I think one thing for me that I've learned throughout this process, I think is, you know, being able to to recognize maybe um, people's slant in the media. And I think that's a really important one for people to take away from this, that you often have to consider uh, where people are coming from and uh, why they're writing the article in terms of maybe looking a bit past the headline often. Um, I think that's especially true today as we're recording this on Monday. And so... I think despite that, I still love cycling just as much as ever. And I think when I really fell in, fell in love with cycling was on the 2013 Tour de France. I watched it in 2012. I'd watched it since 2008, um, kind of following Mark Cavendish and some of the other British riders. I think as a Brit, naturally, I was drawn to them much more. But as I've got into the sport, uh, more, I've really fell in love with riders from across Europe and across the world. I think uh, you know one of my favourite riders who retired last year, despite him being slightly controversial, was Alberto Constador because he brought the racing and he attacked every single time and made it really, really fascinating. And so I think we are really in the golden age of cycling. I think obviously these riders are achieving feats and putting out performances that we've never seen the likes of before. And I think uh, you know we're in 
although people might not like it in terms of entertainment, they might think that maybe Team Sky winning a lot of the Tour de France is boring. And I can completely understand that. But I think if you look at cycling as a whole, I think the last couple of years have been the best we've ever seen. Um, you know, Peter Sagan and Chris Freeman probably at the top of the sport right now, you know, especially in terms of the world champs and the tour. But I think the next couple of years are even more promising, looking at huge battles between the Grand Tour leaders and Chris Froome and Tom Dumoulin. Um, Nairo Quintana never, never quite lived up to as much of the expectation I think as we had for him in after 2013 and uh, 20 even 2016 but yeah it's uh, it's a remarkable time in cycling's history and uh, it's been a pleasure to cover it it has and of course we've tried to pr- promote women's cycling as well as much as we can it's an, an exciting um, time for women's cycling it continues to grow it definitely needs more public publicity funding c- coverage um, but I think it is moving in the in the right direction slowly a lot more could be done and of course another one of my highlights was actually the interview with Lizzie and Hannah from Sunsport Velo after they both raced at last year's women's tour tour, tour de Yorkshire it was fascinating to get an insight into what it was like to ride in a prof- professional peloton and it's also been great to follow um, Lizzie's progress as well because she then moved to story racing where she won the national road series last summer and she's now riding this season for United Healthcare in the world tour so we'll be following her as well so I think we obviously have tried to um, champion w- 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 women's cycling as much as we can um, but I think we've just said it so much over the last 18 months there's still more to be done on that and ASO have recently announced that they are looking at reintroducing yeah. the Women's Tour of France which is really the most crucial part of all of this because once the Women's Tour de France comes in the Tour de France still gets um, about 90% of the worldwide attention for cycling across the year cycling fans might find that unbelievable but that just ultimately is the truth the vast majority of people only really pay attention to that race uh, and so therefore you know the women being at the Tour de France and having as much of a platform as the men and I really hope they broadcast it properly the truth is that they probably won't for a couple of years and I really hope that they do uh, full 21 stages um, you know whether it be in the morning or however they sort out those logistics but I think women's cycling you know if you like cycling you like women if you like men's cycling pardon me you like women's cycling as well it's just as great and I think people are finally turning over it takes time and that's that time is really frustrating because you know I want it to be on Eurosport as much as others. I want there to be you know proper commentary and you know be as big as it could be. And I think of all sports, you know, if you compare it to maybe women's football and stuff like that, I think cycling is moving at the fastest pace. But I think there is still you know million miles to go. I think that's the same with men's cycling. Men's cycling, the model is still broken. We've talked about this at length on the podcast that really. Um, ASO have to just learn to share a bit of the revenue and not keep it all for themselves and you know teams need various sources of revenue and not just sponsorship because that model you know if sponsorship has an issue then then the bottom falls out so I think we although we haven't seen much progress on that in the last 18 months you know with the rise of Velon and uh, you know teams being able to negotiate as a group I think the future is looking brighter and brighter with respect to that so that's one thing I'm going to look forward to following Absolutely. So there, there we go. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this cycling round. Oh yes, okay, okay. So I'll go first since I raise the topic, and I'll give you some time to think. Giro d'Italia, Tom de Mula, um, Tour de France, Vincenzo Nibali, um, Vuelta, Chris Froome. Yeah, I think I would go Froome for the G- Froome for the Giro. Froome for the Valter possibly and then the Tour de France is a difficult one because 
I think it could be like like we saw Rigoberto around last year reaching the podium. I think it could be somebody like that, somebody who you wouldn't really count as a, a favourite. Like could France win for the maybe, first time maybe. in in bonkers years? But if you look at the the past history, you guess Vincenzo Nibali if he rides. But it's going to be the Tour de France is normally one of the, normally a lot of contenders, but this there's, year they switch the focus an, switch to the Giro d'Italia. I think Tour de France is got the best parkour of any Grand Tour this season because there is a huge amount of cobbles. There's an incredible Paris Roubaix stage which is going to shake the Grand Tour to condenses to pieces. At least a couple of them will crash out there or in the first week. So as ever, I think the Tour is ultimately my favourite Grand Tour because it's just how big and how significant and how really, you know, the Tour um, is the, the linchpin in the season. It's what everybody bases their season around pretty much. And a good performance at the Tour makes your season. And if you miss out on the Tour, you go to the Welter. Or if you maybe don't think that you can win at the Tour because some other leaders go into the Tour, then you go to the Giro. I think as much as people don't like that, and it's maybe slightly different if you're an Italian rider, that's just a reality of the sport. And so... Yeah, I think that's my favorite, one of my favorite races of the season, as well as Paris-Roubaix, for sure. And those are what I'm looking forward to. Oh, so there we go. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the, the Cycling Ramble. We've certainly enjoyed emotional. recording it. Uh, so thanks again for everybody who has supported us over the last oh, 18 months. You got a final message? I've got. I've, I've said I'd say it, mention this. Um, do check out um, the Velocast podcast. I think those guys are great, and I really like their content. And also the Cycling Podcast. They're coming to Sheffield this week. I'm going to see them in person. So if any of you guys are there come say hello um you can probably find what i look like from twitter and uh yeah those guys you know i believe set the standard for report for podcasting in all of sport i think the cycling podcast is really the best one of the best sports podcasts in the world if not the best sports podcast in the world and hence why it does so well on the ratings it's so well produced edited and the chemistry the dynamics are unbelievable so do check those guys out i've been a friend of the podcast since those guys started which is their kind of um way of getting some money from the fans to help support them and uh, it is absolutely worth every penny so do check those guys out um uh, we'll put a we'll tweet them out on social media so check that out there yeah so thanks again for everybody who has supported us while we've been recording this, this cycling run but and for the last time thank you very much for listening